Hello, hello. This is Artist with M. I'm your host, M. Persico. Today, our guest is Karen Hall. Say hi. Hello. Yay. <laughs> so, what kind of artist are you? Um... A cellist, a character actor, a clown, a podcast host, a backpacking enthusiast. Would you think that all those are, are good labels? Yes, all, all of the above. Yay. Or attempting all of the above constantly. Um, yeah, cellist, I guess, is primary. Musician is sort of like, Pardon. I don't want to say the default, but what I've been doing the longest. Or just being a general idiot. I feel like I've been doing that probably most of my life also. Right. But most people don't know that there's an actual like um, comedic form called the idiot. That's Which, true. Yeah, it's a... Are you referring well, to that? <laughs> I mean, that was uh, some of the first clowning I did in LA, mm-hmm. but I was being a cellist with the idiots. Wow. So I didn't fully get it even yet. Um, yeah, so I mean, I've definitely been being an idiot for like most most of my life. Like a, like a goofball? Yeah, like a dummy, just general. <laughs> oh man, I can relate. I've always probably been a comedic clown without before training because clowns sure. are clowns before any training is involved. But the question is always like, is it nature versus nurture? And like my dad would like watch Weird Al videos with me like before I could comprehend that I was watching Weird Al videos. So oh man. Like, so it's like the <laughs> default. Yeah, it's a deep-seated internal because people will be like, I didn't expect that out of you. And I was like, what, to be an idiot? I mean, I guess because it's like I'm I'm five foot ten and I'm blonde and I'm thin. And I'm, and you're clean and you look like a go-to. <laughs> I look like a presentable person. And then yeah. I like walk on stage and I look like a just like idiot, like yeah. no boundaries. Idiot. Yeah. So Which much is always like funny. the characters. Like, I played with clowns in LA for so long um the clown in town Juzo Yoshida and he would get uncomfortable when I would show up looking professional like I would come <laughs> in like like after a gig I'd like go play a Jetso show and I'd be like in my concert formal black or like black gown and oh I love that what like, like like a trippy experience yeah and then you know like I'd change and I'd just turn into like a total idiot yeah it's like seeing Santa in his day clothes. Yeah, maybe. Not this, yeah, know. it's just like, there's something wrong here. Yeah. Oh. No, my life is a life of polarities, for sure. Because, yeah. like, I play classical music. I act like a complete idiot on stage. And then I, like, change into cargo pants and stop shaving my legs and run away to the mountains and, like... Yeah, and backpack. Live in a a tent for like three days. And people are like, where are your high heels? And I was like, well, you don't need them on the mountain. Yeah. I need them in LA. Where's your makeup? Where's your clown nose? The first time I went to Yosemite, uh, I was like camping with friends. And they're like, how long do you think you'll need to get ready in the morning? And I was like, I don't know. A second? The amount of time it takes to put on my hiking boots. And they're like, well, don't, don't you need to get ready? I was like, what, you think I'm going to wear makeup in the mountains? Was but this men? No, one girl did. Like, she would go to the bathroom every morning and, like, put on her, like, tinted moisturizer and That's mascara. So and I was like, 
we're we're about to go climb half dome like what do you probably for the pictures i don't know yeah so that's it's like the girls who put on red lipstick at the gym and you're like yeah or under their mask doing so i just keep all those things totally separate like if i'm at the gym i'm sweating and i'm disgusting but if i am on stage then i am like cat eye and red lipstick and then if i am a clown i am like stretchy stretchy pants just like black i think yeah. when i clown i try to be comfortable but neutral. neutral i guess yes. just so that people well we met in an online clown class i don't know if you noticed i always wore black, black. yes that's actually makeup. a question i always ask people how did we meet <laughs> yeah so we met in the virtual world yeah and zach Steele's clown class yeah and uh yeah i was very intentional when i clowned um that people's first impression of me is not high maintenance yeah when i finally met you in person it was like spotting a unicorn i was like karen is it you you look exactly like your pictures (laughs) which pictures the ones like the instagram pictures oh and like uh, your you know virtual self (laughs) on the clown internet interweb <laughs> yeah no i try yeah i try to make sure that because i started in improv and i got a, a backhanded compliment from someone who is now actually quite a good friend but she was like yeah when you came into our class i thought there's no way this pretty blonde girl is gonna be funny and she <laughs> was like she was like but then you were and now we work together and i, I was love like, it yeah wow. like So yeah, I've gotten that type of statement before from someone in an acting class. They just joined for the day and I was sitting alone, pretty like neutral and just chilling, somewhat masculine attire. And I was just like tired. So I wasn't really engaging with anyone or smiling or being bubbly like I tend to be. And so after she got to know me that day, actually engaging with her, she's like, wow, I did not expect this at all. Yeah. Who knows what people think? It's bizarre. I mean, it, it works in your favor, I guess, if you're going to like scene studies. Trans- yeah. I don't know. I try to show up to clown pretty neutral and yeah. then transform. And so it's fun when I've transformed because I feel like then I'm fully lost. Yeah. Which is also a really fun place to be in. It and is. It's the magical sweet spot of life. And so many people don't get I, to tap into it. Even as I like create characters, like a, when I was at Groundlings or whatever, it's like, I would have friends be like, I didn't even know that was you. And I was like, yes, that's what I want. And that's a fun place to get to. But it's all when I clown, I for sure try to be as neutral as possible before everyone's like, she's just a blonde girl. Yeah, I love seeing your different characters that you post on Instagram. Like that bro, like from a uh, fraternity bro without your makeup and your hat backwards. You're just like, "Mm, what's up? (laughs) Yeah, I think that one... uh, one of my friends actually told me she was like you look like every guy that I slept with in college combined into one compliments I was like that's high praise that is yeah thank you and now your makeup on and you're like you're like almost docile face it's just like what's up dead eyes right yeah someone texted me one time and they were like I thought this was your brother oh winning (laughs) yeah that's good oh yeah who puts that on their instagram yeah before we podcasted today i um looked up your your character reel (laughs) (laughs) don't 
Yeah, don't spit out your tea. <laughs> it was very entertaining because usually I just see you like in the neutral Karen, you know, when we're just juggling in the park or um, eating. <laughs> that's neutral. Yeah. <laughs> Most people, that's already crazy. You're like, I see you when you're just normal and trying to learn how to juggle in the park. Yeah, and eating Mediterranean food with me, you know, eating hummus. <laughs> so all the different characters you've done, it's like, whoa. Like when you're that person in the office where you just don't give a fuck, but you're just like, uh, I love when I'm it. being a real Karen. Ooh, know? that's so good. Sick burn. Ooh. <laughs> They're just so dynamic. It really shows what being an actor is because some people just play themselves all the time. But you like put on a different like, what's it called? A different hat. You become a different person, you know? It's very exciting. I enjoy that. I think also, which is what I loved when I found Clown was like, I like to move. Like so much of my characters are found in my body. Yeah, the mannerisms. Um, Yeah, Um, I I guess that's probably where I tend to start. And then emotion, (laughs) I'm always dramatic. So then that follows pretty, pretty quickly. And um, voices, Mm -hmm. I mean, if you were like in the car with me by myself, it's a rough place. Like there's just a lot of like, what if I changed my face like this? And then how does that change my voice? And like, if my shoulders are forward, if my shoulders are up, if my shoulders are back, how does that change my voice? Like, it's a lot of introspection and then stupidity. Just, yeah. And then a voice memo of the stupidity yeah. to remember for later. I love that. It's just like, because you're a vocalist as well when you're not doing all the other instruments. And I don't like, know if I say that, but thank you. Okay. But like being somewhat trained in like, music and vocals you you know the different shapes you can make with your mouth like whenever I'm trying to get like a different sound for my music I tend to go to the neutral place for me which is like um indie folk but if I want to change the genre I literally change the shape I make with my mouth and my throat and like where I put it in a wide e like a smile or like closer like in a rounder shape it's amazing how different things relate to each other. Yeah, that's for sure. I, I'll also play a game where whoever's on the radio, I try to blend with them. Mm. I don't necessarily try to like impersonate them. Sometimes I do, but sometimes it's also just like not my register. So like it's yes. never going to be a true impersonation. I have that problem too. But if I can find that blend with them, then I'm I'm changing something that now is like a new avenue of control that I can mm. play with. Um, you know, more gravelly versus smoother versus like yeah. Ariana Grande's mumbled falsetto, oh, <laughs> like, man. you know, versus like Barry Gibbs's falsetto. It's like the tonalities are so different. And if you can blend with those, then you have more to draw from when you're just creating normal character voices. Yeah, that is so true. So do you also, I saw on your Instagram or somewhere that you host a podcast is that true? Gosh, I've been stalked. Um, I, yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> yes, uh, but it's it's nerdy. It's not nerdy. It's it's important and valuable. But well, I've been playing the cello for twenty five years, and in yes. the process of playing the cello, I have had multiple uh, repetitive stress injuries, um, or also uh, mental health issues, as is common with a lot of musicians. 
Yes. Um, and so uh, when I first was dealing with it, when I had my first repetitive strain injury, nope, my second one, I was only 26. And uh, this was like a bad one. So in college, I had a little tendonitis flare up and then I had a worse one after I graduated. And um, my whole back spasmed and seized and I canceled work and I was like flat on my back in my apartment. And I ended up going to like eight months of physical therapy, trying to get this whole cross tension in my back solved. And I remember Googling like um, physical therapist, musician, LA, and there was nothing at the time there were no hits. And this was like 2011 or something. So that, that had sort of stuck with me. And then a few years later, I got into a car accident and I took the impact in my rotator cuff. And again, I was like trying to find physical therapists who had experience specifically working with musicians because it's a hard thing to explain to someone like, I need to do this thing that tortures my body. And they're like, okay, well, you should stop doing it for a while. And you're like, the thing is I can't and I won't like, you know. This is my and life. Exactly. Um, it's my identity. It's my paycheck. It's my art. It's my creative outlet. It's what people expect of me. And these layers just pile up. And so sort of after being inspired by the lack of information available, my own personal journey through a lot of pain, both physical and mental, and then really looking at the way, like I used to run marathons and um, I used to really think about the way that people would train holistically for sports, like the breakthroughs in sports medicine and everything like that. And I was like, so where, where is the stuff for musicians? And um, so the podcast I post is called Musician Health Resource, and I have a business by the same name. Um, it, it went on a hiatus this year because live concerts and musicians working is on a hiatus this year. Um, so I haven't been very active about it because I was basically running a series on injury and injury prevention from repetitive strain but we're not doing anything repetitive right now except trying to get out of bed every morning and it's a struggle so oh. um yeah so I was basically interviewing experts in the field of performing arts medicine and then um you know podcasting what their what their research is finding which wow. so since everything sort of took a break I've yeah. been uh actually just this month getting back into the headspace of like how do I bring this back and, and what will it look like? Yeah. Paying for web domains and hosting right. and totally. taking my money. So I might as well. Might as well use get, it. Might as well get it going again. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the pandemic has been really tough for artists who are used to connecting with people who are used to making money. Um, and uh, so it, it definitely, for me, there wasn't like a pivot it was just like, this needs to just rest right now. And yeah. And that's good that you're able to um, allow yourself to rest in certain areas because people put too much pressure on themselves and then sometimes you crack. Yeah. And that was definitely in the beginning, back in like April, I was kind of working on, on some pivoting ideas and it just wasn't happening. And I was like, I can't, I can't do this yeah right now. there's not enough in my tank at the yeah. moment sometimes it's not worth it anymore yeah yeah 
So, and the good news is there are significantly more resources available to musicians currently. When I started um, the project in 2018, there was nothing. And even when I came back to it in um, the fall of 2019, like a year later, it was just like, now there's like maybe 20, 20 accounts, which is still like nothing, right? When you think of like the whole world of musicians yeah, um, or even student musicians. So there's definitely still room and um, it's definitely an emerging market and an emerging need. Yeah. And I'm just glad that people are starting to become more aware of what they, what resources they're not getting and just creating it themselves and reaching out to other people that who don't really have a platform at times, like the researchers you've been talking to. Yeah, for sure. I think they're all like thrilled that there's like a young person that's like excited about it or or sees value in in what they're doing. Yeah, I think also like sometimes people in the sciences or in healthcare are not as comfortable with their voice. Like that's something that has never been an issue for me. Right. (laughs) I don't mind talking. Um, yeah. Well, you're more in a performance life anyways. Yeah. Yeah. And they and, probably got used to like hiding in their books and in their research. But then when you don't practice something like speaking to people, it can get really hard. Yeah. Even a lot of musicians, like yeah. um, a lot of us put our voice out through the instrument, which was actually really freeing to me when I found improv because I was like, oh, I don't need a funnel right now like now I can just go direct I don't sometimes it's valuable to put it through the instrument and sometimes it's more valuable to just be yeah (laughs) Yeah. totally like I remember for the like a whole year after graduating from college I was basically in it's like it was like quarantine but just for me (laughs) where I would just go to work commute with my dad come home and the only people I would interact with are a few people probably on the spectrum like I am, but also just a few Starbucks baristas. And so social interactions for me were rough and I had to get used to different greetings again. Like people would say, good morning, hello. And I'd have a response for that. But then when they would change the, the greeting to happy holidays, I would be, choked up like I have I have no I have no response (laughs) what do I say dang it I'm frozen right so I can imagine how like researchers can become inside of themselves but also performers oh my gosh I'm I'm lousy at a party I'm not good like I am a wallflower I am stressed out if I have an alcoholic beverage now I know that I'm stuck and it becomes even more miserable because I'm like well I can't get in the car and get out of here like if you were to put me in a bar and be like work the room like I would be sweating I and then I step on stage and I'm like this is fine you know or like totally get you teaching teaching a class totally fine one-on-ones great I love one-on-ones like if I just get into a situation where it's like here's like five people, they might know each other. You only know one of them. I'm just like, I shouldn't even be here. Why did I come? Yeah. That's why like as the host, 
I like to introduce, like, I only have parties of five or less or more, usually just five, unless everyone already knows each other. But as the host, I introduce everyone and how they're related to the person that they know. Like, oh, hey, this is such and such grandma. Oh, I love that person. <laughs> it's not that I only invite grandmas, but that's an example. The happening party. It uh, is. <laughs> that might be more my speed. Yeah. If it wasn't a pandemic, we definitely would have had a five or five or less party with some okay. clowns and make some sweaters. <sighs> so sad that I'm so sad that the um, pandemic has shut down LA again because I was gonna bring my um, sweater decorating stuff so we could like decorate sweaters in the park. Oh my gosh! Yeah, everything. I haven't gone outside. It's too stressful. No. I can't do it. I yeah. can't do it. All right, change the subject. I'll get stressed. No more pandemic. Okay. Uh, what has been a fun project that you wish you could do more of when the quarantine is over? Oh, no. Uh, is that related? <laughs> it's hopeful. It's okay. It was a, it was a transition. Um, I miss improv a lot. I was oh. thinking about this. Um, I live off of a portion of Hollywood Boulevard, and I walked all the way down to the Sephora at Hollywood and Highland to buy mascara. And I was like, well, I could buy it online or I could just get exercise and and go to this store. There were two other people there. It was very low risk. But so yeah, I walked all the way down there and I walked past both the old building that used to be IO West and uh, Second City. And I just was like, I miss improv and like I love sketch I love clown but there's like a wit that improv has that clown doesn't have as much because like I mean you are trying to be smart when when you're playing improv like Second City kind of has this saying like play to the height of your intelligence whereas clown is just like go out there and just be kind of dumb be yourself be normal but don't overthink it (laughs) Yeah, there's just like a, a speed and a wittiness and a like the group mind of improv, which yeah. I think also is because I've been by myself where I was like, I, I miss this so much that I would go back to like level one, just to like do it again, you know, just to like, yeah. have an excuse um to start again yeah into it again to do it because I mean I like groundlings but it's not an improv school it's a school that uses the tools of improv to create some characters for sketch and I have a lot of fun with that I was invited to writing lab and then a pandemic happened so I didn't haven't taken it yet but yeah there's just the group mind of improv I think I'm just at a spot where I was like I really miss that I've been wanting to get more into improv because I've done a little bit of improv. Like when I was first getting out of my shell of being a hermit, I did a improv class for like professionals who need help public speaking and talking normally. And, but, but later on, after I did a few clown classes, like I repeated the same clown classes until I became more comfortable. But then after that I did musical improv and I was going to retake it because I like to retake classes, but of course, not everyone signed up, so it fell through. But I really want to start doing improv again as well, you know, and, and do it so often that it becomes natural because it's hard for me. 
it's really hard for me to do anything without lots of practice and become comfortable in the form before I can be comfortable in myself in the form, you know? I think that's natural. That's like right. everything. Yeah, exactly. That's you would be mastery of anything. Yeah, totally. Um, speaking of improv schools, what is IO West? Because I've never heard of it until I saw it on your um, resume. Oh, uh, well, it doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Uh, in fact, IO Chicago doesn't exist anymore. Wow. Um, they are both now closed, but that's where, um, like, long-form improv was in- invented. And uh, that is what UCB now, uh, that's what you'd study there and what they teach there. Basically, people who went through the program at IO West, started UCB, or they went to IO Chicago, not IO West, sorry, miss misspeak, people are particular about that. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then they, you know, started UCB with those similar tools. I loved IO, it was my favorite place. Um, it felt like my comedy and my brain um, had found their happy spot, and yeah. uh, then it, it was closed, yeah. <laughs> brutally. Yeah, so. it's it's wonderful to find a place that it feels comfortable to explore with other like-minded creative people. And I don't know if it's because I'm a musician. And so naturally, as a musician, you're already keeping a lot of balls in the air. Like you're, you're aware of so much more than what you're doing. Yes. Um, and so long form improv to me is that same thing. Like, I guess for me, it felt like I just transitioned like jazz. Like, it's just like, oh, here I'm doing a different thing. I'm, uh, it's music. It just doesn't have my cello. But it's that same idea of like, here's A and then here's the little bridge and then here's B and then here's the little bridge. And like, yes. Yeah. I totally so for, got you. For me, it was a really fast. Yeah. I like, found the oh, similar yeah. thing in musical improv because it is music so there are a's and b's literally wow i love finding resources but also spaces to exist in and do these type of things just like that's why i did this podcast because it's a place where i could talk to my friends and ask them personal questions about their art and it's okay and then share it with other people you know so i was even thinking last month when i was going to more clown clown things thinking oh I would love to do improv so I could practice and hang out with my friends and get better at improv so I'm like I might as well start an improv group (laughs) at least a virtual one to start out when the yeah so let's do it let's try to do some improv I don't know what it's going to be like virtually yeah I'm like afraid yeah I don't know there were some things where I was like I can't do a watered down yeah maybe after everyone's vaccinated we can do it in the park yeah but i've definitely found that to be true about everything where people were like we could just do this online and i was like can you (laughs) some classes are perfectly fine that i would not have thought like a juggling class i would not have thought it would be okay but it was good because then you can focus on what you're doing and then pay attention to the juggler coach and then do it again and then they record it and they send you your little victories. Like, look at the the after effect, like dance move after you finally caught the hat, the hat on your head. I was like, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a uh, it's amazing how some things translate almost. I don't want to say better, but it allows you to explore a different area of focus. Like I find that with my teaching, there are some things that I'm like, you know what, I cannot teach this as well across Zoom. But then there are other things where I was like, oh, I can actually teach this better across Zoom. So really? I'm just gonna. What was the thing that was better? Theory, permission to like slow down. I guess sort of like the ideas of like listening and repeating more like call and response structures. Definitely for group classes, I think the ability to look at at theory more in depth because a lot of times you just get in front of the ensemble and it's like you write it on the chalkboard and like maybe they see it, maybe they don't see it. But here it's like, Right you know, I have the, like their screen, it's like they're looking right at my chalkboard, you know, and so there's that opportunity to utilize resources a little bit differently where focus can be maintained. Yeah. So I, I definitely yeah. enjoyed exploring that with my group classes. And you also do um, one-on-ones? I do. Yeah. I love that. I wish when I was learning music, I would have more one-on-ones and maybe more virtual so that I could see it, what they're talking about. Because for me, as a musician and a learner, I have a hard time processing what someone is explaining to me or even just hearing a percussion like pattern or anything. It's hard for me to grasp it without seeing the pattern or, or whatever it is. Yeah. I wish virtual, like there was more one-on-one stuff. Yeah, it's interesting. I think also the biggest thing is like it challenges my teaching ability, which is something I taught early childhood for years. And I'm always curious about how people learn, process and retain information. Like I just, I nerd out about it. And uh, so for me, it's like, if somebody's not getting something that's 95% of the time on my end, like, you know, they haven't, I have not yet found the way that they engage with the information. Oh, I love that. So I think for me, moving into the virtual world was like, keeps it interesting for me. Yeah. Because <laughs> like, I've been teaching now for like 18 years, cello lessons, a, a long time. And I actually prefer teaching group ensemble classes as opposed to private lessons now, which is very different. I think most musicians prefer to teach one-on-one. It's mm. a little more comfort zone, I think. Um, so you've really found a sweet spot you found a sweet spot with group yeah I think improv definitely also helped with that like just the idea of like how do we get on a group mind and then how do we move that into ensemble work how do you get all these people especially like middle schoolers you know to to think a similar train of thought to work towards a similar goal with support of one another while also respecting my leadership, yeah. you know, but also taking responsibility for themselves, you know, having intrinsic motivation rather than like an external force. Yeah. He has the conductor telling them what they need to be doing. That's so true. This one time, well, this one little story in middle school, my brother's a few grades ahead of me. And he was in a music class in middle school and he would play the baritone. But whenever the music teacher, Mr. Nordoff, he would do little very high pitched squeaks as if it's like a trumpet player. And I'm sure Mr. Nordoff knew it was him. And then finally, a few years later, 
um, my senior year of middle school, uh, eighth grade, I guess that's not how you say it, but I did choir for the first two years of middle school. And then the third one, I was like, let's learn a little instrument. And so I show up and I was like, what's up? And he was trying to convince me to go back to choir before getting to know me that like, you don't really want to do this. They need you over there. But then he found out I'm a good student and I don't like make random noise squeaks in the middle of class. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would be concerned if someone came in and was like, I'm just going to play an instrument. And I'd be like, well, yeah, take some private lessons first. Yeah. Um, it's hard because in an ensemble, you know, you're only as strong as your weakest, your link. weakest link. That's right. Um, so you got to make sure the weakest link feels encouraged enough yeah. to, to participate and... Yeah. And he was worried I was going to be like my brother. Yeah. Siblings. <laughs> well, siblings are very different. Yep. My brother and I are very different. I'm sure. <laughs> Unless I'm dressed up as my frat boy character. In Ooh. which case, we twins. Really? Yeah, we just look the same. That's it's awesome. Really terrifying. I love that. <laughs> I would love to see the horror. <laughs> the comparison. Oh, man. It's not, it's not cute. That's Okay. <laughs> A lot of things that I wear aren't always cute either. Character costumes. Well, sometimes. Well, since I'm so short, I guess it could be cute. <laughs> Any miniature thing is cute, I guess. I love, yeah, I love going through my costume bins and just being like, all right, who, who will we be today? Oh, I love that. Just like whenever you put, I remember seeing on your Instagram, you said that wearing makeup and dressing fancy and femme is just like, wearing a character of any sort yeah it's just an, well I think also like I I will say one of the negative things about being tall and blonde and thin generally a western attractive yeah. female That's is right. you get a lot of comments that are not invited or yeah. wanted and uh you get them for literally no other reason than just you exist. And yeah. it's very frustrating. Like I did not handle it so well in my twenties and I like shaved my hair into an undercut and I lost, I'll be honest, I did lose quite a bit of work, but it was definitely, mm, yes. It was like one of those things where I was just like, if, if you like me like this, then I'll, now I can trust you because it was just like, what the, like I'm just getting harassed and people just want something out of me that I'm not gonna give them I totally um, understand and it was very frustrating and then uh the beginning of the pandemic this time last year December of 2019 I had booked like a hair modeling job and then I had my hair dyed red and I cut it into like a cute little pixie cut and then the pandemic happened and I've just been growing it out and doing nothing and it's gone back to being long and blonde and feminine again yeah and uh so it was just like frustrating to me that I could you know post basically the same photo like the one of me with like a shaved head you know holding a cello then people would be like oh yeah that's Karen you know and then this same photo like this the same the only thing that has changed is like now I have long blonde hair again people are like oh someone's acting thirsty and I was like wow like, just, I could, I couldn't. I was like. That's so oh, aggressive. It's just another costume. It's all it is. It's just like, I cannot, this is genetics. The hair, it I just totally showed up get this it. way. It just showed up this way. Same yeah. makeup, same face, yeah. same Karen. I totally like, get it. I'm not thirsty. 
I'm sorry, gentlemen, if you're listening to this, just not, I'm not thirsty. (laughs) Showed up this way. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. I love it. I definitely feel that where I'm just like, you know what? I, I shouldn't have to sacrifice me at neutral. Yeah. In any way. I can't help the way I showed up on this planet. I totally understand. Like when I first cut my hair short for like exploring my gender in high school, people weren't as nice to me at all. You know, people in my town and see me Valley, they weren't very nice in 2010. And like people are nicer to me now with my, how I look, but I think it's mostly because they think I'm a child who is dressing whimsically. You are definitely a lot shorter than me. (laughs) I am. We're a foot away from each other. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just bizarre to me because I was also like, if you just scroll down my instrument, instrument, Instagram, <laughs> like, don't scroll down the instrument. Uh, <laughs> hey, um, yeah, you're gonna see also, yeah, Karen in wigs and Karen as a frat boy and Karen wearing a stupid mask that she made in a mask making shop. Yes, that was an interesting, you mask. know, like. Karen in a clown nose like they're just Karen in cargo pants on top of a mountain and no makeup versions of me and you know it's just like it's it's just another phase this phase has not changed who I am or what I'm asking for from you it's so So. true like when I dress more femme and like um stereotypically pretty like I take my glasses off I put makeup on I look like a stereotypically pretty person and if I wear femme clothing, people are so nice to me. It's almost annoying how much nicer they are than if I don't wear makeup and if I have my glasses on. Yeah, I if I wear my glasses, I get I wear it when I want to be taken seriously. I'll put on the glasses. And oh wow! I do get a lot more respect. Um, Dang. If I want to get served faster at a bar, I just I know like just put down the hair, <laughs> put on the heels, and yeah. First of all, they can like see me like a cross rows of other people especially with some heels on exactly I'm like six six one six two and so it's just like they just look up and there I am and I'm like yes you can never see me in a crowd yeah I remember like back in my 20s yeah my friends would be like how did you get your drink already and I was like I don't know they just they see me me. I'm pretty I'm tall there you go like this foot like a good six inches above everybody else and I'm just like yes I would like a scotch meat please yeah like, oh yeah shake. you love the scotches i love the scotches yeah there's no mixing there's no shaking it just they look at me i say like tablets for meat they pour it they pass it they pay for it done done i love that so would you like to perform a little cello for us and then we'll talk a little more oh my gosh we're already at that stage well it's already like an hour <laughs> oh my gosh okay yeah, so this is the, the fourth movement from that same suite. So it is the Saraband from suite number one for unaccompanied cello by Bach in G major. Yeah, I'll just play it and we'll see what happens because I don't add my music.
feel that's like when you try to like slide into home and you're out anyway, right? Uh, that's a thing. So <laughs> we almost we almost made it home. That's okay. Um, Do you have a little excerpt of one of your favorite cello songs, like a little like ooh ooh ooh? <laughs> oh, uh, kind of one of my go-to pieces is um, the Vocalist by Rachmaninoff, and uh. It's been a long time since I played it, but it is just sweet and lovely. back in like uh may and uh we did a a cover of swing little girl by um charlie chaplin which he wrote for the intro to the circus and um i had gone down like this deep today i'd gone (laughs) i went down this deep rabbit hole of chaplin music and i'd just been like listening to all his scores and because he wrote the music for his films also and so I found Swing Little Girl, like, buried in there. And um, I was just like, oh, my gosh, how, what, it's so lovely. It's so charming. And so we did a, a cover of it, and it's, like, maybe the softest I've ever seen myself. Like, it was, it was a little uncomfortable when I first started watching it. Like, the little... First of all, it's too much of me on camera. There's like four me's on camera. I was like, that's a lot of me right there. Um, but it's so soft and so charming. And I'm just like, who is that person? It was a version of me I hadn't met before, I don't really think. Like, I think part of it comes out with kids. Like, with kids, I'm, I just generally, like, love them. Softer. But I'm also, like excited about them because I was like somebody my maturity level like we're hanging um (laughs) the clown conundrum yeah right so it was just so strange to find this like soft version of me that wasn't sad because I think generally when I express vulnerability or I'm on stage in a very open way it it leads to tears just like all the time um and so hard to be genuine and like in a happy, blissful way than just, like, so sad and crying. Yeah. I don't know why we have this problem. (laughs) So it was, yeah, that was an interesting thing for me to discover about myself. Or I I also think a lot of times with the cello, because 
um, because I'm female and, and I did experience a lot of, um, this is a, a boys club or like, you know, we, we, we're only going to give you an elevated position if we're just looking for someone hot on camera. There was a lot of that sort of like mentality that I had to deal with from like high school till like age 30. And um, so also like I think when I go to the cello, there's like if I'm being joyful with it, it's almost like it's because I'm being aggressive and I feel equal in some way. Like I can I can hang with the guys, like I can play just as as like heavy and aggressive. And so I think that's also a place that I go to with the cello. It, it's like <laughs> unusual for me to just play happy music on the cello because it's like I don't really know what that is. Like, yeah. What is happy? I understand. Music? I feel like it's more vulnerable to share joy with people. In, a mo- in like the raw sense than it is to share sadness because people are used to sadness in music and oh yeah especially on the cello I mean it's just like it's written for it but I think even with the cello like a lot of times people want it to be warm or even like sensual like there's this famous female cellist uh she was sort of the first one to break through um, her name was Jacqueline Dupre. She passed away very young, and um, but she was like the the first one that like you know was equal to the male soloists. Like she had kind of this level of respect, and um, I don't. To me, I don't connect with her because every time I listen to her, everything feels romanticized to a level where I'm like. I don't know. I don't. I I don't know. Is that what that composer was thinking? Like, did was every song just like a love song? And you know, that's her filter and and her connection to the instrument. I don't know. I never met her. You know, like. But for me, I would almost like get aggravated when people would compare something I was doing to one of her recordings because I was like, well, I'm not her, and I don't. I don't even like her recording on an artistic level. I, I want to make a different choice. And you're like binding me to her choice. Right. And I don't like that, you know? It's probably because they have no one else to compare you to because they're like not going to compare you to men because there's so many out there, but there's just this one that they can p- compare you to. Right. And maybe they could, like, maybe she went more towards the um, sensual feel in her music because a lot of men probably avoided it and they kind of assume women would would maybe be more sensual and so maybe people were more accepting of what she was doing because of that and because she's a woman like oh it's because you're a woman you can play like this and then I think I mean that makes a lot of sense because sort of the only other cellist on the scene before her was this Canadian cellist named Zara Nelsova and she actually changed her name to sound Russian so that she would be respected, you know? And they call her, like, the queen of the cello. But it was, like, you know, like, first of all, she had to be the queen of the cello, right? And wear these, like, puffy, absurd outfits. But then on top of that, like, she had to change her name to exist inside of this, like, masculine world with any sense of respect. So it's, like, you know, there's just fewer females on the scene. And, um... Yeah, I think there was something always, like, I didn't shy away from being aggressive on the instrument. 
at all because I was like, well, you know, uh, if they can do it, I can do it. Like, maybe I have to work harder. I got, like, toothpick arms, you know, but, like, if they can do it, I can do it, and I'll get, I'll get there. I'll match them. Um, do you ever get pushback just, like, on, was it SNL when, uh, Will Ferrell made a joke in front of Amy Poehler. It's not cute. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I get pushed back all, like, constantly. I mean, I lost a ton of work when I shaved my head. Yeah, like, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, there's a lot of pushback. I think just for, like, daring. Just for anybody who's, like, you know, I'm gonna do this. I definitely experienced it in high school and college. And I definitely didn't stand for it when I went through it the second time around in college. I was like, uh, no, I already played this game. Not gonna play it again. But I think there's just like, there's a natural warmth to the cello, which is great. I think it's its biggest asset. But I have a lot of fun with avoiding that warmth, I guess. Like the second box suite is, uh, for me, I, I interpret it as like the seven stages of grief. And so I play through it with like a very barren quality whereas a lot of I've never heard anybody else play play it that way ever not in any recording nothing like I kind of enjoy that that sense of barrenness which nobody wants to really put forth that sound you know like you want to put something warm and comforting that invites your listener to listen to it and I basically like invite my audience to suffer a little bit with me. Um, <laughs> yeah, which is again kind of that very clowny sense coming out of just like, yeah. you know, like I'm just sorry. share your suffering with the audience. Yeah, like I don't, I don't want to make you uncomfortable, but also like I do because like I want you to maybe meet a version of yourself that you don't always want to meet. You know, and probably no one would buy my recording of the box suites because no one would be like, yeah, I want a barren, mopey, like, and suffer <laughs> sort of like hollowing recording to like listen to whenever I want to, you know? Hey, you never know. Cause I always relate the most to scenes or, or like something someone says or a music piece that hits me in a spot where like, I felt like alone in it. It just hits you in that spot that you're like, ah, someone else felt the same way. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. I mean, and people don't often listen to classical music anymore, which is part of the problem. But I think there's like a real magic in the in-person and then in seeing, because that's the other problem I think with classical music and why it's dying so much is just that like, you can't connect to the performer because the performer is like, has too many barriers. Like first we have a physical barrier, like our instrument, and then we have the art, and then we have the history, and you know, the genre, like we have these continual weights that we keep putting onto it. And so like when the audience comes, they sense all these weights. Like I, I mean, I'm classically trained and I sense those weights when I go to a concert, like I sense that, that there's things I don't understand. And the only thing that's gonna break down those is like some idea of, of humanity. And so for me, if it's like, if I don't have what's human about this piece of music, then I don't have anywhere to go with it. I don't know, so it's interesting to me. Uh, I probably should have played that other Bach 
Can you show us a little a little tidbit of the barren, harsh cello you're Oh, referring? yeah. I mean, this, this one's not necessarily harsh. So, uh, it's like I'm giving a little cello lecture. I love it. So, normally, if someone was playing the beginning part of the box suite, you'd hear something like, um... It's, like, very warm-sounding. I don't know if that sounds warm across Zoom. When I play the first three notes, I play... So there's like, I don't know, it just like sits in sort of this like brighter, you mostly want to avoid that popping kind of open sound um, as like a general rule on the cello. Like you always want to, to mute that and sort of hide it within. And I, I get a lot of pleasure out of just sort of like sitting on it. should have looked at something before the podcast. <laughs> um, I don't know. I hope you can hear that across the recording, but it, it is a very different tonality that like immediately you're stuck in. Yeah. Um, yeah, it feels like it could be in those creepy movies, like uncanny, in uncanny movies. There's a whole genre of uncanny. In. I didn't even know that. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, I don't know, and, and it's on my Instagram, the whole thing, and, and, um, and I also, when I record for Instagram, I, I take room sound, and I, oh, and I do one take, so there's no, like, I don't edit any of the box suites when I put yeah. them on, um, they're so just... what was that one called? Uh, uh that was the prelude to the second box suite in D minor for solo cello, and, um... I don't know. I think I have it actually right here, but I do. Nope, I don't. I only have page two. Where's page one? I found it. This is the weirdest podcast I've ever done. Perfect. I know. Usually I'm like all put together and prepared. I'll try and like at least get the first couple measures.
structure you know it's like we don't make our like fine visual artists paint the same masterpiece over and over and over again right you know like we're not still painting Mona Lisa's like we have the Mona Lisa right but to like to bring this to life it's like to do it well where I'm not getting pulled out of my own head requires like a lot of repetition and mastery I think the same is true with like great athletes right like you do the reps and you do the reps and then you do the reps and then you do the reps and then you free fall and you hope that like, you know, I don't know about sports, but like, uh, yeah, what you, is you hope that you practiced enough free throws that when the pressure is on and you're standing at the top of the key, like to take your shot that you make it like, you know, and then you have the crowds and the opposing team and all these dynamics and the score and the pressure of the moment. Um, but you have to do the work. And it's probably clear, based on like the few places where I fumbled today, that it's like, some of the mistakes I played through, I made some, uh, and some of them is just like, I'm a little bit derailed now, because like, I didn't do the reps recently enough to like, sit down and be like, this is performance worthy. I hope that I achieve always a good marriage of being personally and emotionally enough invested that the little mistakes, people are like, I didn't even care. I was, I was invested, you know? But then when you make those bigger mistakes, like, they get in the performer's head. They get in my head all the time. I'm just like, well, I don't know if I can recover from this one because, like, now, you know, I've just changed the key that I'm in and, like, there is a right way to do this. And so it's, it's a tough, like, balance. And it's also why I just completely adore clowning because it's like oh yeah I didn't I didn't really have to do a lot of prep work for this like okay. not at all I came with some ideas for clowning the better yeah um show up unhiltered and messed up and you're ready to rock right so um yeah I think for me it's like again that duality of like I have these sort of like extreme containers like if you watched me practice you'd be like this girl is crazy and not in like a good playful way but just in like an insane, I mean, I don't want to make fun of people of OCD, like, I have family members. But obsessive. Yeah, but it's like, I am obsessed with perfection in this moment. I am incredibly obsessed with it, and I will not move on from this until it is perfect. And God help my neighbors, because they're going to listen to it for an hour and 45 minutes without break. And it's just me, reps, 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 right? And it's like, well, that's... Have you learn to balance like mental health with being obsessive about what you're practicing um or does it not relate much i guess for me yeah 
I, I think it's like a bigger picture of the mental health. It's like because you become what you do, you know? And so at some point in time in my career, I became cellist. And that was a title that someone else gave to me that I took on. And I didn't know who cellist was. I didn't know how to fail. I didn't know because I have a title. So if I'm not achieving that title 100% of the time, that for me is like a bigger picture than practice time. Practice time to me feels like permission to make mistakes. So that actually feels like the healthiest time of what I do. But then when you step outside of the safe place of making mistakes like when the drills are done it's like there's no more permission especially in the studio world here in LA it's like millions of dollars are riding on what you're doing you know and it you have like three chances and it should be perfect by the third time we should be moving on we shouldn't need to keep doing something over and over and over again and so on the one hand you feel very pleased with your accomplishment you're like holy guacamole like I'm doing it you know like I'm good enough to be here um, unless it's just been given to you because you're a hot girl, in which case you're going through a different crisis of like, am I good enough to be here? Did I just get this because they're trying to sleep with me? What happens when they discover that I'm not going to sleep with them? Oh, I've, I've lost this job. Why am I not on this job anymore? Oh, it's because they didn't go out with the contractor. Like, I've experienced that whole thing too. So it's like, you feel good that you've earned it, but then you also, you don't feel great because like cellist has earned this and what if cellist makes a mistake, you know? And that was a very, especially when I was injured and I couldn't be cellist or being cellist was physically hurting me. It was like, well now this is not, this is not mentally healthy anymore. Like now I'm in a spiral. I don't know who I am. I don't know how to behave. I don't know what I'm good for. I'm clearly on jobs that I can't do well because I hurt and I'm only getting these jobs because I'm hot and it it really messes you up like you're just like what the like I don't and everybody else knows it too it's not like it's a secret it's like well that person can outplay Karen but Karen's looking hot so she's gonna sit there and and like I know it and everybody else knows it and you're just like well I didn't ask for this you just put me here and now like you know but then I I know that I'm a good player and I know that I came back from injury a better player so I was like at the end of the day I am a good cello player even despite what you might have heard on this podcast for any other classical musicians who might be listening and going "Mm, well she missed that a I know um so like (laughs) You know, um, I think there's also just like a limited amount of jobs. And so the competition feels weightier and there's no permanent contracts. You're only as good as your last gig. There's, I mean, there's a field of mental health issues, but I actually find that repetitive like drilling to just be a really happy place of knowing that I'm making progress. Does imposter syndrome ever like flare up big time? Yeah, yeah, I've gotten better at it. The more I do the work, the more comfortable I feel in accepting the results of my work. When I started the business, there was a little bit more imposter syndrome of like, well, I'm not qualified to be a business person. Like, even this year in the pandemic, filling out unemployment, it was like, did you look for work within your skill set and qualifications? And I was like, okay. (laughs) 
let's check out my skill set and qualifications. Um, I can play the cello, check, no jobs. Uh, I can teach the cello, uh, check, it's summer, so there's a limited amount of jobs, but also like, I don't have a teaching credential to become a full-time music teacher and I don't have a master's degree and education is on freeze hiring. So no jobs there either. And then I can clown and write sketch comedy and like, okay, does somebody want to give me a job doing that? You know, so there was a little bit of like, this is what I'm qualified for. And when I started the business, it was definitely like, Am I qualified for this? Like, yeah. Have you know. found that character work helps at all? Like becoming different characters, does imposter syndrome spark up less since you're always playing different roles? I don't I don't think so. I think like the roles that I play, it's always pretty clear to me that I'm playing a character. I think in real in real life I like to play shades of Karen who are real. And, you know, like, I really do like to not shave my legs and go to the mountains for a week, you know, like, without seeing other people. And I really do like to, you know, sometimes put on makeup and red lipstick and heels. And I really do love fashion. And I really do teach children and crawl around on the ground with them. And act like, somebody told me one time, they're like, you're too pretty to be a teacher. And I was like, well, I'm a teacher. So I don't know what that means. Like, wow. I also want to be a very good teacher. Wow. Like, We're just confused. Like, you sit on the floor with the kids. And I was like, yeah, they're five. Like, that's <laughs> where they are. <laughs> that's where they are. That's where it's cozy. Let's be there. Exactly. I love it, right? You know, and they're like, oh, like I'm singing like head, shoulders, knees, and toes, and like jumping around. And I was like, I don't know, like maybe someday I'll be too old for this. Might as well do it as much as I can right now. Like, and they don't know that you would be doing this stuff without the children there. <laughs> right. That's the other thing. I was like, lady, I don't need kids to be doing this. Like, I'll do this by myself. Someone like diagnosed me one time. They're like, Karen, do you think that you enjoy teaching children because you feel like you're still in touch with your childhood that way I was like for sure <laughs> they thought they were like telling me this revelation about my life I was like yeah that's exactly why I do this like yeah I feel like all clowns have that internal youthful child life inside that's why we're we always want to play we oh, don't no. like big groups all the time but we want to play genuinely with like the small people that we like and know yeah We'll, For put, sure. we'll put the outfits on. Yeah. So it's interesting. I don't know if like, I think of like my business as a different character. I think there's like professionalism I try to bring to it that I don't necessarily bring to other aspects yeah. of my life. But well, I mean, I'm still, at the end of the day, I'm like, I, I'm a dork. I do improv and I'm a dummy. Like, yeah. We need some sort of professionalism at times to push the information we're giving out and to be received in the right way. Yeah, I have a real hard time with marketing. Like I just do. I was like, you know, I think it's because it's like I've come out of play mode and now I have to promote my play. And yeah. I was like, well, that feels gross because now I'm back in like my rational state of mind and my rational state of mind doesn't feel like being telling the world that I'm great is like the right choice here you know um, yeah. and I had a friend who he does work in marketing and he was like well you're too close to your product because your product is you and you'll never market yourself effectively unless you're a little shallow and delusional and I was like so you're saying I'm rational good like you know it was like, it's a nice place to come back to to be like yeah, yeah at the end of the day I make 
pretty rational adult choices with yeah. like my food and my finances and my habits yeah. and like it's such a struggle as an artist though to do it to to do both sides of it because you have to have a little bit of like yeah I'm the best I'm awesome but then you also have that real little sensitive part of being an artist where you're like this is my special thing I love it this is my thing I'm so insecure what if no one likes the thing I make but then yeah. you're you also are that thing we're like yeah I'm a badass take me on it's, it's hard I think like finding the stupidity has been almost like made it easier for me like I have this little like googly finger puppet set of eyes that I've been like playing Christmas carols with and, people and Hanukkah responding to that positively and I was like great you know because it's like no one else is doing something that dumb so either you're gonna be like what a waste of this art or you're gonna be like oh and I think like a big curiosity for me is how do we make music more interactive like maybe TikTok you know and I feel like I don't know I would just enjoy watching those silly little eyeballs moving around and and um yeah so that's kind of my I guess like I feel better about it than I would being like here I am on a gig with like so-and-so because it's like I mean I've, I've worked with like really great artists but I, at the end of the day I'm not like running for a photo with them because I'm like you know what I'm also I'm also cool that's kind of how I felt like I did a musical last summer with like uh, the cast was like a couple celebrities and I was just like or their celebrity friends would come see it and someone would be like are you gonna get a photo I heard so-and-so here and I was like they came to my show like let's just like I'm not about to like yeah, if they want a photo myself. with me, if they yeah, want with me. Of, I was just like, you know, like there, I was the one on stage. Like, I don't need to run out and and fawn over them or yes. anything. I feel, I, the actually, uh, I feel the same way. I feel the same way. Jack McBrayer came to our musical and he was like uh, standing by my stand so like I came out to get my stuff afterwards and he's like oh excuse me sorry he's like blocking my way and uh we actually know a lot of similar people in the comedy world and I was just like hey uh I know who you are I used to watch you perform at IO West and you know like he's used to people being like you're that guy from 30 Rock and all this stuff and then we talked about improv for like 25 minutes and people were like oh, you finally found a celebrity, like giving me a hard time. And I was like, oh no, we were talking about improv. And they're yeah, like, We have what? mutual friends, like, mutual interests. Yeah, I was like, People literally talking. all we did is talk about improv for 25 minutes. That's it. Just like nerding out about something that we both enjoy. Yeah, and people, I was so people have too much pressure. Like they put too much pressure on the word celebrity and on the entertainment and sports people because everyone we know is connected to someone cool that someone else has seen right it's, it's the town we're in Hollywood and LA is the place like even my Simi Valley a lot of like interesting like child actors that started out as child actors they're from Simi Valley so mm -hmm. this is just the SoCal the place where everyone's connected and we shouldn't be overwhelmed by celebrity anymore it's like yeah I get it that person is my neighbor <laughs> or right. something silly like yeah so it's just fun it's like you can't you can't feel like an imposter but you can't feel like you're a superior you just have to be like look I'm doing my work to the best of my ability or 
to the extent that it brings me the most happiness and the most yeah. joy. And then, you know, the chips fall where they may. Like, right. I'm not going to ladder climb over someone else. and But I'm also not going to like... Let them ladder climb over yeah. you. Yeah, I'm not going to diminish my own skill sets or abilities yeah. in the process. So is it the, the pursuit for joy? Is that what drives you with these passions? Yeah, I, I mean... Personally, or what drives yes. you? I think just connectivity. Like with the other people? other people? Seeing other people discover is something, I mean, that's why I still teach and why I'm very passionate about music education is that there's an opportunity for someone else to discover their joy. Because um, like, you know, sitting buried in a symphony as my permanent job is not something that I think would bring me joy. Right. Um, Because the music stands like prevent you from really connecting with the audience and you're all blocked in and you might never see who's been watching you and crying from that little solo you had or something. Yeah, that's definitely a portion of it. And uh, I'm really excited actually in January, uh, I'm live scoring a theater show, a storytelling piece called An Iliad at um, a Noise Within Theater Company in Pasadena. So I'm wow. pretty stoked. It is kind of my biggest credit where I actually get the credit. Like, I'm not buried in an orchestra. I'm not like, and basically like, you know, I told them that I played cello with clowns and live scored like some contemporary dance companies and things like that. And that I had like clowning and improv training and they were like, oh my gosh, we've been looking for you. Yes, you're the one we've been looking for. So it's like, basically the thing that I spent years just doing for stupid joy is now something that I get a union contract for. (laughs) That's like the goal in artists. Eight eight years, but you know, I'm doing it. That's the artist's goal, I think, to really just go, go for all the things you love and then maybe something comes out of it. Yeah, I love so it. I'm, I'm super stoked about that. Um, what is yeah. live scoring? Is that what you said? Yeah, it just means that I, there'll be like a certain amount of improv that happens based on what happens in the moment. Mm. Um, but also there'll be more like kind of standard like spotting, I guess, where I'll see, you know, what blocking they want to stick with. Um, but yeah, live scoring just means like I'm not playing something else that has been written and I'm memorizing it and I'm not going into the booth and recording it separately so that then it's added to what you're yeah. seeing. It's part of the performance, the live exactly. experience. It's not ever really exactly the same as before. Yeah. Just I like do. any theater show, there's always a little something that changes. Yeah. I just consider myself an actor, but instead of speaking and having blocking, I will be putting it through the instrument and responding like visually. I love that. That's so good. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. Wow. So one last question. Uh, so since you backpack so much and you love nature, has nature influenced your life or, or art? Yes and no. I mean, I, I think that like most most people wouldn't, maybe see the correlation i grew up in the northwest so it's like literally the entrance to the olympic national park visitor center was like at the end of my childhood street like it's like so we're in the northwest uh in washington washington state out on the olympic peninsula 
Um, and uh, yeah, so I mean, it's something very like foundational that that I think I experienced by default so much in my childhood that it feels very like comforting to walk into the forest or to go up into the mountains. I'm not so much of a beach person. Like I don't swim. I definitely don't tan. I mean, I can swim, but I'm not just like, let's go to the, to the beach and like lay there and then hop in the ocean and then get out and lay there some more. That's, that's not so much my jam. Mine is like, let's drive up this mountain road to like a vista and, and just be, or like hiking to an alpine lake or or anything like that. So there's, I think, a real like childhood comfort in doing those things. Also, I mean, I unplug when I do those things. There's not a lot of reception when you're buried deep in like Angeles National Forest or anything like that. So there's like a forced unplugging that allows space for new thoughts to happen. And also, um, I mean, I'm religious, I'm a Christian, I think not a ton of people maybe in the comedy community know that. Because, you know, the church and the theater haven't had like a long standing good relationship since ancient Rome. That's not always been been stellar. But I've definitely, for me in my Christian faith, like, I believe in a creator God. I don't need to like split semantics. A lot of people will be like, well, you don't believe in science. And I was like, look, I don't care if he designed evolution. I don't care if it was seven days and he created it. But a very fundamental tenet to like my belief is that my father in heaven is a creator. And therefore to emulate him, I have permission to be creative. You know, like he's loving, therefore I am loving. He's forgiving, therefore I am forgiving. He's a creator. Therefore, I'm a creator. And uh, for me, yeah, I find a lot of freedom in going out into nature and being like, hey, this got here somehow. And so like, what what can I put out into the world? And someone will be like, wow, this got here somehow. And so that I think is pretty personal. I don't think probably very many people know that, but I love it. Now the podcasts know. So um, yeah, it's a place of definite renewal and refreshing. I like that. So thank you so much for being on Artist with M. Yeah. Maybe one day we could do it again and do more little cello excerpts. I'll practice next time. It won't come at the end of like, I did some recording this week and like, I can't play any of that for you because it's going to be released, but it was like, it took up quite a lot of time. So I'm sure and energy. Yes. An emotional space. Maybe once quarantine's over and you're back performing live, we can do another one. Yeah. Or just any time that I practice. Yeah. It'll be nice to catch up though with where you're at in like a year or something. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully I'll have made it, whatever that means. Okay. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for having me.